Welcome back to the McCann Dogs podcast, episode 62. And today we're going to talk about uh, something that people often struggle with, with their dog training. Now, um, I don't know if you consider yourself a step skipper, but if you're struggling with one of your dog's skills, then you may have in fact missed a a crucial part of their training. Now, Instructor Shannon has put together um, a list of uh, things that you need to keep in mind when you're training a new skill so that you don't do any step skipping. I'm Ken Steep, and welcome. Welcome back to McCann Dogs. Shannon, let's talk about someone being a step skipper. Let's talk about the step skipping. <laughs> yes. So in this article, which uh, you know it did really well uh, when you first published it on Facebook, and I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to, and it's something that um, we we often see in ourselves when we were we're in a rush to do more with our dogs. We want to take them more places and, you know, have them be successful. And oftentimes we may hurry this process, you know, thinking that our dog is maybe better at walking on leash or they uh, have a better response to name or recall. So we uh, inevitably skip some steps and uh, you created this uh, acronym to help people to better understand, uh, you know, the process that they need to go through with their dog to help them to be successful. And what is the acronym? The acronym is TRAIN. It is teach, rehearse, add distractions, increase expectations, and then new places. Um, and I came up with this because inevitably, you know, the, the the people that say my dog is stubborn, the people that say my dog is untrainable, the people that say my dog frustrates me, um, th- those people, when they come to us and say those things and we clarify what they've done in their training, there's almost always a step that has been skipped. There's almost always something that has been overlooked in the training process. So the dog has not learned the complete picture, the complete acronym. Um, They've been sort of educated a little bit on what the person is trying to teach them, but there's still huge holes in their learning and in their training. So um, I wanted to come up with something that if you go through all of these steps and sort of, you know, as a broad rule and something that we can easily remember, if you go through all of these steps, you're going to get a great skill in the end. So if you can if you can try to simplify and break things down in your mind uh, with the skill that you're trying to teach your dog with these five steps, you are going to have success in the end as opposed to uh, the holes from being a step skipper. Uh-huh. Now, as I look at the thumbnail that you created for the for the uh, the acronym, I, I was thinking this might make for a great fridge magnet because it's um, so clear and uh, it's so apparent. You know what you're talking about. I know currently all of our students get a fridge magnet that talks about the ten uh, most dangerous household poisons, but maybe uh, the train, the T R A I N, um, would make a great would make a great magnet for for our students. I think you're absolutely right. I really like that idea. So to start things off, let's talk about the T, which refers to teach in uh, in your acronym. Yeah, and, and this is the obvious one. You know, if we want our dogs to learn how to sit, for example, we need to teach them how to sit. And I, I, I don't think people um, skip this step nearly as much as some of the other steps. So if you have a, step, a skill that you want to teach your dog, you need to start 
slowly. You need to start in a quiet environment without any competing distractions, and you need to go through the teaching phase. And I always like to have as close to a perfect skill as I can in that environment before I start to get into the other steps. So um, with some things like recall, et cetera, it's far too broad of a topic to be able to perform in, uh, in a small area or in a small training session, but something like a sit, for example, you can teach your dog how to physically get into the sit position quite easily using a food lure or using some capturing or some shaping, whatever whatever method you want to use to, to teach that skill, you're going to be able to get a good sit cue probably pretty quickly in your house. And that's the teaching phase. And that's where I want to make sure that my dog understands the skill from start to finish. Um, depending on what skill it is, I may or may not, you know, add in the final process, like my cue, making sure that um, I've added distractions, et cetera, et cetera. But definitely that first step, all I'm going to do is make sure that my dog understands the skill, can perform that skill, and has had a fair opportunity without a whole bunch of distractions or competing motivators to learn that skill in its entirety. I love the fact that this would apply. This, this, the teach part applies to any methodology, any uh, skill, any anything that you're doing, no matter how you're training it. Uh, you know, the teach part is uh, is the, the the jumping off point. It's and certainly one of the more important parts of this entire thing. Now, when you talk about uh, the dogs being more successful, uh, making reasonable progressions, uh, that certainly comes with practice and rehearsal. And I know the R stands for rehearse. Um, and talk about why rehearse. Is rehearsal is so important when it comes to uh, these new skills for your dog? Yeah, it's the practice portion of things. You know, if you think about any new skill that you're learning, learning how to drive a car, for example, you learn the um, the idea of how the car works first, and then you need to physically get into the car and you need to practice driving so that there becomes a certain amount of muscle memory. There becomes a certain amount of automatic response after rehearsal is in play. Now. What's so important about rehearsal is that it, we've all heard practice makes perfect. I like to say perfect practice makes perfect because if you're rehearsing the same thing over and over again and that is incorrect, you are actually shooting yourself in the foot. So if, for example, I take my sit skill on the road and I think, oh, my dog's great at sitting in the house, so he's going to be able to sit anywhere. And I go out and about and I go to the park and he's distracted and I tell him to sit and he doesn't because he's distracted or he doesn't sit because there's another person saying hello to him or something of that nature. I'm actually rehearsing, allowing my dog to hear those cues and find them completely inconsequential. I don't ever want my dog to think that he can tune out my voice and that's okay because then I have to go back and I have to nag at him to get things right. So what I need to do is I need to make sure that that rehearsal is great rehearsal. So anytime I set my dog up until he's, you know, proficient on the word sit and he can sit in any scenario, I need to make sure that I'm setting myself up for success. So after the teaching phase, I'm definitely going to change things a little bit, but I'm not going to change them so much that my dog has that opportunity to at the park, hear sit, not really be focused enough to get it right in that scenario, and then of course be wrong and rehearse that incorrect thing. Or, you know, to put it in another way, if he was rehearsing something that was that was not a sit, for example, if every time I said sit, he laid down, 
that rehearsal is eventually going to teach him that sit means lie down and that's going to create more and more confusion. So keep in mind that you need to get in a certain amount of repetition in a lot of different environments as well with dogs in order to expect them to truly understand that skill. So rehearsing the right behavior is going to make all the difference in the world. I like the uh, saying that practice makes permanent. Um, and I mean, certainly you can uh, retrain or untrain some of these things. But if you're thinking in your mind that what I'm doing is ultimately what I'm going to get, it, it, it's really helpful. It's, it's really helpful for, um, you know, to, to, to sort of as an overarching idea to your dog training to be a little bit more self-aware with what you're rewarding, with what you're getting when you're working with your dog. We've often talked about how dogs don't make these great generalizations um and this is certainly a huge part of rehearsal and just talk about that just for a moment about generalizations and, and how dogs see the world a little bit differently than we do yeah, absolutely. I always say, you know, we can generalize as humans. We're really, really good at it. I can walk into a Sobeys and figure out how to find tomatoes in a Sobeys. I can walk into a No Frills and figure out how to find tomatoes in a No Frills, even though the color scheme and the building and everything is completely different. As humans, we are able to generalize and go into situations and figure things out easily. Dogs are not the same in that respect. They need that rehearsal over a bunch of different environments. And, and, you know, popular opinion says anywhere from 50 to 100 repetitions in a new location before you can really consider that to be a, a successful skill. So we need to do a lot of work, not just sit in the house and then expect it to work out there in the real world. We need to teach sit in the house and then move out to different locations, et cetera. And that's all part of the rest of this acronym as well. But we need to rehearse that perfect skill in new environments and we need to re have them rehearse it getting it right and that's the point where they're going to be able to generalize and go into a new environment hear the word sit and be able to recognize the word right away be able to function enough in the distraction of the environment that they can get it right and be able to offer you that uh, that attentiveness in order to be able to get it right so the generalization comes with repetition and with rehearsal for any of our non-Canadian listeners, uh, Sobeys and No Frills are both uh, grocery stores. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering, what the hell is she talking about? It doesn't make sense to me. Is that like some sort of t some weird vegetable <laughs> shop of some kind? But that's what she's talking about. They're, uh, and they're also local to, to McCann Dog Training Facility. So we, we often refer to those things. <laughs> They're tomato salespeople. Yes, yeah, they're strictly tomatoes. Uh, tomatoes of every kind. Beefsteak, uh, cherry. I mean, the list goes on. I don't know any other kinds but because I don't eat tomatoes, but I'm sure there's a lot more we could talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Now, once you've rehearsed that skill in uh, new environments and you're seeing some success, what's the next step? What's, what's the next challenge that you're bringing uh, to your dog to, to make them even more reliable with their skills? Getting in the distractions and the distractions are something that you can set up with your dog. You know, I, I don't, I rarely leave the training phase of things to chance and get out there in the real world and actions I, I come across are going to be something that my dog can, can contend with at that point. So I will 
probably overanalyze a little bit too much, but I will set my environment up. And this is where I find keeping a training journal really comes in handy. I'll make a lot of notes on the distractions that I use, the repetition that I did. Like I, at the end of any training session, I will take two or three minutes and just jot down what I did with the dog, where we had success, where we, um, where we had challenges. And that way, when I come back to it, either the next day or a couple of days later, I've got a good idea of where I'm at with my training and how I'm going to continue to afford my dog to have success. And that's all part of the planning thing. So with adding distractions, I'll often start, we're using the, the example of sit. So um, we'll stay with that. If I'm in the house and I'm working on sit and my dog's getting it right in, you know, sort of a, a padded room with nothing going on. Now I'm going to start things in. So I might go into a different room in the house where maybe my partner is hanging out or maybe the other dogs are hanging out. And I'm going to work that sit exercise, not over facing my dog and letting the other dogs come and be right on my puppy's space or anything like that. But basically just putting my dog in a scenario where there is a little extra distraction and I still have the same expectations for him. He still needs to sit when I ask him to sit, even though there's that other distraction in the room. I'll go outside in the backyard and I will throw toys and food, et cetera, in the grass. And of course, I make sure that I make a mental note where all those things are, especially the food and grass, because it can get a little bit hidden. But it's a really nice thing to be able to get your dog distracted, get them wandering and thinking about that smell of food, and then try your skill and see how they do. And of course, you can moderate that distraction as much as you'd like. So I could use a piece of kibble in the grass and I could be 15 feet away from it, or I could use a piece of steak in the grass and I could be two feet from it, you know, depending on where my dog is with his level of success. Um, and distractions are anything that's competing in the environment. So once I've mastered distractions with a setup in my house and in my yard, I'm gonna take things on the road and I might bring some distractions with me to add to the environments that I'm going to, or I might just let the environment be the distraction itself. Again, very dependent on my dog's level of success at that point, but my ideal situation is that I'm building on those distractions. So once my dog can handle the kibble at 15 feet away, I'm going to move in 10 feet from the kibble. I'm going to try the steak at 15 feet away. You know, I'm going to mix things up so that my dog gets all sorts of repetition and rehearsal of the right thing with those added distractions in, but at a point where he can be and he can get that, you know, that history of reinforcement built into him surrounding distractions. Something that's really interesting that you made me think of, and um, anybody, anyone that's taken a psychology course uh, will recognize the name Pavlov. He's a Russian scientist. He did lots of work on classical conditioning, but something that even, you know, a lot of the psychology professors won't, don't know because it's less important to them is that when Pavlov tried to um, demonstrate his findings on classical conditioning where he'd ring a bell and the dog would salivate, when he tried to present it to some of his colleagues, he set up the same scenario, same experiment, and then presented it in front of his colleagues and didn't get the same result. He oh, also found... Yeah, he also found that with, uh, I guess, uh, some of his, some of the, the scientists he had working with him and uh, performing some of these experiments, they would have these findings and then they would call him into the room and he, they, the dog wouldn't 
they weren't getting the same results. What he determined, and again, this is something that a dog trainer really needs to know about, or a dog owner should be very aware of, um, is that uh, he, he, he decided it, it was called investigatory reflex, I think, an investigatory reflex, so that the dog was distracted enough to uh, pay attention to whatever the new ch the change in environment was and in this case it was people but um, e even with all of the conditioning uh, they yeah. needed to be introduced to these people and I mean this is some it's evolutionary with dogs of course I mean they've had to, to for self-preservation and uh, you know to keep themselves alive they need to be very aware of their environment and uh, I just thought that was an interesting thing to throw in uh, is that uh, Pavlov's findings on this exact, and yeah. you can apply you can apply this knowledge to what you're doing at home with your dog. Really understanding that you're not going to get the same results when you change the environment, when you change the level of distraction. So you do need to, uh, as Shannon mentioned, sort of um, uh, slowly increase the level of distraction. Now, along with increasing the level of distraction, you're going to increase your expectations, Shannon, and, and that's the eye of the train. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, most definitely. I was just thinking, actually, as you were talking about Pavlov's Lob's dog and that um, realization just before we get to the next one, I thought, and that's the point where somebody would think that dog's being stubborn. You know, if we didn't know point. better and we didn't know that 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 there's no way that dog when when the association is just ringing a bell means food, there's no way if that dog understood that theory 100 percent he would say, I'm not interested in the food, right? It just wouldn't happen. Yep. So that, that 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 response of drooling, that's that's a really interesting point. I really mm. like that. So yeah. increased expectations. Sorry, I'll get, to, get us back on track here. This is actually my favorite stage. And I love the point where the dog understands things and I'm starting to challenge them. And this is actually the point where I will often start to wean away from the food rewards as well. So obviously I do not expect to have to reward my dog every time he sits for the rest of his life. Um, I can't Reggie yet. 11 years old, I can't think of the last time I ever rewarded him just for sitting. So, I mean, we, we need to get from the point where we're rewarding a lot and building reinforcement to the point where the dog is expected to perform the behavior without necessarily getting a cookie every single time. And how I can make my dog want to earn that cookie is by increasing my expectations. So, making this skill more complicated, I might look for a, a different criteria in how fast he sits. I might look for a different criteria in the the physical way that he sits you know i might want him specifically to tuck his rear underneath him rather than rocking back into the sit depending on what i'm teaching for i might start to work on a more remote sit so you know if he's six feet from me and i say sit expecting him to suddenly put on the brakes and sit at that point where he happens to be you know adding in some elements that are going to breed a true understanding for the dog that's the thing when you break things down into better pieces or more specific pieces of information for the dog and you start proofing through things, that's where your confidence lies. That's where your dog's confidence will come from. When they get repetition of being right, even though they're being challenged, we want our dogs to be willing to offer us some sort of a behavior. I want my dog to always try. I don't want him to be worried about getting things wrong. So the worst thing that happens in a lot of these scenarios, if he doesn't, you know, if I ask him to sit and he takes two or three seconds to sit, 
I'm going to give him a pat on the head. I'm going to tell him he's a good dog. What a great dog. But if you want the cookie, you've got to work harder than that. The next time I ask him to sit, if I get a split second sit, that's where the cookie's going to come into play. Increasing those expectations and really keeping the the rewards of this the um, the food, the toys, the really the really high value rewards for when they've given you a performance that's worthy of that is going to help build their confidence. It's going to help proof through the skill. It's going to help really clarify for that dog exactly what it is that you're asking them to do. I love that idea. And I think um, this is exactly why we use something like jackpot rewarding. You know, if you've had uh, consistently had some good sits from your dog and then all of a sudden they give you a great performance. And if you're not familiar with jackpot rewarding uh, for our listeners, um, there may, you, may, you, you can have several treats. You're going to reward your dog several times in a row rather than giving them a whole handful of treats. You're going to give them five, six or whatever uh, rewards in a row because they see that as really valuable. But you really make a big deal when they work a little bit harder when they respond a little bit faster and as shannon mentioned as you increase your expectations you're going to see your dog trying to follow along trying trying to be a little faster be a little better um and jackpot rewarding is a great way to do that now uh it also keeps Definitely. it fun it keeps it fun for you it keeps it fun for your dog and regardless of uh, what your expectations might be whether it's just you know to have your dog not jump up on you anymore uh the process the learning should you know, provide some value, um, you know, some emotional value to you and your dog. The more fun it is, the more likely you are to do it. So as you maybe find new challenges, you, uh, you, you know, maybe set a new expectation for your dog. Um, you know, I, I, most of us, I think deep down, even if we don't think we're competitive people, we're quite competitive people and we want our dogs <laughs> to be successful. Um, so, I, you know, it, it's really a fun way of, uh, of, of making training more fun. For sure. I like to say it leaves a lasting impression. You know, whenever I use jackpotting in my training with my dogs, I always notice a marked improvement in whatever that skill was the next time. And and I, I don't mean a marked improvement in that it wasn't going well before. I mean a marked improvement in that my dog that that jackpot did leave a lasting impression and he can't wait to get that skill out again so that hopefully he gets another jackpot. And I, I don't usually use more than one jackpot in a row unless it's something extremely, like I, if I'm if I'm practicing recalls off of, of live animals or any nature, I might really make sure that I'm jackpot, jackpotting as many times as possible. But for the most part, I want that jackpot really stand out in my dog's head. So I use it sparingly, but I use it well. And you will see with your own dogs as well, when you use that jackpot well, you'll see how much of a, of a lasting impression it leaves on them. I think that's that's a good point. Um, your dog has sort of moved the bar higher, uh, and at that point, they won't be getting another jackpot unless they give you even greater performance. So it, that's probably a good thing for uh, our listeners to keep in mind. Now, when you're uh, talking about having more fun, doing training uh, in maybe in different places, uh, whatever it is, as you're challenging your dog, uh, you do need to do it and try it in different locations in different environments places that might be more stimulating uh more exciting maybe just louder i mean let's talk about uh, the n in your train and it's all about uh, i used to be called now take it on the road but i see that you've changed that to new places maybe it's a little more clear this way yeah we thought so there was a there was a discussion about it around here and i um i 
sort of threw it out there for a vote and the vote came back as new places. So uh, fine and dandy, that's great. Um, places are so important. I, my rule of thumb, when I have a young dog or when I'm training a new skill, um, for example, right now, Ned is, um, he is getting ready to compete in the higher levels of obedience. So we are working and proofing and teaching all sorts of new things. When I'm teaching a new skill, my rule of thumb is I try to get to three new locations per week. And that might seem overwhelming when you think about it in that grand context, but when you actually put it into practical use, it's not a big deal. So I, I find that, um, I'm lucky that I get to take my dogs to work with me every day. So they're always with me traveling. So I can stop at a park on the way home, pop out and do five minutes worth of healing. And it's so easy and it's on my way and it's just part of our routine now. Or I'll stop to get something at Sobeys, maybe some tomatoes or no frills. And I'll pop out of the car and we'll do a sit stay in the in the no frills parking lot, someplace safe, obviously. So there's a second place. And then, you know, maybe I'm just taking my dog for a walk and I, I take a new route and here's a schoolyard that I've never practiced at before. So I'm going to practice that skill in the schoolyard. So, you know, by the time you count those three places, it's really not hard to get to three different places. But that's the effort and that's what's going to help your dog generalize. So putting in the time to get the repetitions done, making sure that you have the learning in place and then getting out to, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a huge, hugely distracting environment. It just has to be different. You know, sometimes you'll find that your dogs find specific environments really, really difficult for whatever reason. You might go into a quiet building and there's one distraction in the entire place and your dog is completely fixated on that. Or you might find that you come to an obedience class and because there's so much going on in the whole room, there's not one specific thing for your dog to get distracted by. They're really great and really focused. So we need to know our own dogs. We need to know what we have through with them in order to get that that conditioned response at the end of this game in order to get that great skill. So just think about different locations. It might be the backyard. It might be your neighbor's front yard down the street. It doesn't have to be anything too elaborate initially, but you do want to try to get out eventually to as many different places as possible. And one thing that I would like to add, I know that um, it's not in the acronym, but sort of maintenance for your training through their in through your dog's entire life is crucial. And I like to get into maintenance mode whenever I see, first off, if I use one of my cues or commands and I don't get a response from my dog, I go right back into training mode. And that might mean I go right back to the start of that train acronym, depending on how long it's been since that skill was really in use, how much my dog has forgotten, how much I feel like he truly understands it anymore. I'll also go into maintenance mode when the seasons change. So for example, I've already done a lot of recall reminders and response to name reminders with both of my dogs. You know, Reggie at 11 and Ned at two and a bit now. We've done lots of spring training reminders because historically I know that when the world changes, everything looks different. You know, it goes from white to green now. The smells are different. Dogs are really excited. And we can't simply hope that those new distractions that they're faced with are still going to be it are still going to be something your dog can contend with. We need to make sure that we do some reminder training. You know, if I was um, if I was expected to perform calculus once a year, 
I would make sure that I was doing some reminder training on calculus every once in a while before that uh, that time for me to actually be able to function with it was there. So take the time when the seasons change, when you see things starting to slip, get into maintenance mode, go back to the point where you think you need to work with your dog to be successful. But keep in mind that that might mean going right back to the beginning if it's a skill that you've really not used in a long, long time and you want to retrain your dog on it. Uh, I think it's such an important thing to remember, and I'm I'm just thinking now how we can make this um, make this uh, image uh, available to our listening audience. I mean, certainly, I'll, I'll, maybe it'll be the thumbnail of the podcast, but it would be great uh, for, for, as to be top of mind because you can literally apply this acronym to every skill in every location, no matter what you're teaching. And I think that's really exciting, and I think that's why it really resonated with so many people because uh, they they realized that they were being a step and they they knew that they needed to be a little bit more um you, you know focus on progressions with their dog now i know that a one one place that people can be walked through the process of teaching their dog a new skill a new trick is our free monthly workshop and i know there's lots of people from our podcast who are there and if you're listening and you're in the free workshop i want to say hello to you guys and uh welcome hello. to the yeah welcome to the to the workshop but um tell us a little bit about what uh, what you have to offer for the free monthly workshop Absolutely. We release a free workshop every month. The first of the month, we give you something fun to do with your dogs. Um, sometimes it's a trick. Sometimes it's a skill. This month, we released a remote down workshop, which basically I, I was sitting, I, I was um, talking about the sit a little further away. Um, we, I like to teach all of my dogs to drop remotely so that if my dog is 20 feet away from me and I see something and I want to stop my dog's motion right away, I can tell my dog down and he will hit the deck where he happens to be. He's not going to come running into me to do that. And that is a safety skill I have actually used to save one of my dog's life. So it is such an important skill to have. I'm so glad that I teach it to all my dogs at a young age because when I used it, it was with a young dog and it it really did. Literally, I saved that dog's life with that. So it's a miraculous thing. Totally free. Check it out. Um, download it in the, in the uh, Facebook group. We're having all sorts of great conversation. People are having all sorts of great success and wins with the workshop. And uh, we just, we'd love to see you come and join us. Something that's really cool about that random down, if you are a dog sports competitor, I know the agility world loves it because they can uh, be in the middle of training and something doesn't go right. You can ask your dog to lie down and you can go reset the bar or whatever. You know, you don't need to take control of them again. But that is a skill that um, I've used. Kale and I had to use one time when we were out uh, walking on a trail as a motorized vehicle came zooming up. We told all, our, all of our dogs to lie down and they did. And none of them were in at our side. They were all, you know, uh, relatively close by. But having that down was so helpful and I just can't imagine not teaching it to a dog with the amount that I get to do with our dogs, the new locations we get to check out. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a crucial skill and um, it's fun to teach. And if you're in the workshop, the, the exciting part I think about the workshop is that every month it's a mystery what the next skill is going to be. So the first day of that month, you, uh, you get, you know, the, the course arrives in your email box and you get to do something fun with your dog. And uh, I can't, uh, I'll, po I'll post a link in the show notes below if you um if you aren't don't have access to the show notes check out mccandogs.com and i think there's a, a a link across the top of our website so that you can get into our uh, mystery box workshop crew and uh i think you're gonna love it and that's why i i really um 
I love to, I yeah. love talking about it because I like seeing people how much fun people are having in the group. Me too. Now, if this is your first time listening to our podcast, make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button. We publish new episodes every week to help you understand the why behind how dogs think and learn. Now, Shannon, I want to thank you for sharing this time with us. And uh, I want to wish all of our podcast audience happy training. Bye for now, guys. Bye, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training.